Well, how are you doing today? You guys doing good? It's like, man, amazing weather out there, right? I'm telling you, it's tough fighting through El Nino to get here. But, uh, but we're doing it. We're from California. We are tough. We will fight through rain, snow, whatever it takes. Uh, we will fight through June, July weather to get to church because that's who we are. Uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. Inside your program, green and white message note sheet. And uh, take that out. Uh, we're going to jump right in. You guys ready to go? All right, let's pray. God, we're excited to be here as we continue this series and talk about living our life by design and not by default. God, we're thankful that before time you've chosen us. You have a vision for our life that we have been called to play an important part in this epic drama vision of bringing all creation under the leadership of its true king, healed and restored, King Jesus. And so today, God, as we talk about taking this next step in design of our life, I pray that you'd be with us, give us great clarity, give me the words of strength, energy, voice. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to each of us by name. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're continuing the series that we've been in for the last uh, six or seven weeks now. It's called Priorities, the Path to Life. And if you're brand new, I want to welcome you. Um, this is really a series that it builds on one of the most uh, powerful and most common metaphors in the Bible. Uh, the Bible often compares our life to a journey. And so uh, it says that, that in this journey of life, uh, we have choices to make, and there's some paths that we choose that will lead to freedom and lead to fulfillment, that'll lead to health, that'll lead to uh, great relationships, financial blessing. Um, there's a, a path that leads to life. The Bible calls it life. Uh, and then there's other paths that we can take that lead to, free, to, uh, to frustration, they lead to pain, they lead to regret, broken relationships, financial ruin. Bible calls this death, right? And so the, the lesson is choose wisely because even if you're not clear where the path is going, if you're on the wrong path, it takes you to the wrong destination, whether you want to get there or not. And so the first three weeks uh, of the series, the first half of this series, we focused on three uh, first steps to this journey that are just so core, we kind of review them every week. We talked about the first step was to pursue God. That uh, the first step the Bible says, the path to life, is to make God the center of your life. Uh, our number one priority is to know him, to love him, and to please him in all these other areas. And that only when God is the center... Is the rest of our life, think of them like, uh, like planets. When God's at the center, the rest of our priorities come into place and we live in alignment. Uh, and after we make God the center, the second step then is to listen. Learn to listen and follow to his teaching. God loves us. He knows the plan for he has for our life. He knows the path to life. And the, the, the secret to living life to the full then is to learn to listen and follow, especially at those times when it's hardest or when it doesn't make any sense. And then the third step is once we've learned to pursue and listen, now we're ready to design our life in these eight areas that we've talked about uh, to be intentional. What, where do we want to end up? What, what are the, sp the specific steps it takes to get there? And so then the last half of this series, we've been focusing on four areas that need to be a, uh, our, play a key role in the design of our life, but areas that we often tend to neglect, forget, and so maybe ignore. And so today we come to the next to last one that we're going to be talking about, which is uh, the step of serve, to, uh, to serve. Now, this is one of those countercultural steps. Uh, if you were here the very first week of this series, I laid out five principles of the path. And uh, principle number four was that the right priorities often feel wrong, especially at strong. That they're often counterintuitive. They go the opposite way. You think culture, we would naturally react. And if they actually lead to life. And this is definitely one of those uh, examples. I think if we're honest, that uh, for most of us, we'd say life would be perfect if I didn't have to serve anyone. Right? Like, it's like if everyone just served me, 
that would be awesome. You know, if I was like the center of the universe, I could go to the Caribbean. I just wanted my favorite drink and then to be served. That would be great, right? So, so what we naturally tend to think in life is the more people serve us, the happier that we are. And yet the Bible comes in this very counterintuitive. The path of life always leads through the door of service. And so I feel like I need to build up a kind of a rationale, kind of lay out the framework of this. And so I want to start with four key principles about serving. Uh, that each builds on the next one to build this case of why this is so critical that we build service into our life as part of the design. And then at the end, I'll come back and ask two practical questions that really help us kind of land the plane and apply it to our life. So there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Serve the Path of Life. And so I'm just going to run through each one and build on the other. Let's jump in. The first thing we come to the Bible, uh, we talk about designing our life, uh, the path of life, is the first principle be that we are created uh, we are created with a purpose. Okay? We're created for a purpose. Uh, I love the way that, uh, you know, Rick Warren wrote this famous book, one of the best sellers of all time, um, and uh, on purpose, a purpose-driven life. And I love the way he starts his book, and I want to start there. He says in your note sheet, it's not about you. He said, the purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment or your peace of mind or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. Right? And so the first thing the Bible says is there's something special about you. You're not an accident. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been chosen before time to not only be forgiven and restored and healed, but you have been chosen to play an important part in this epic drama that God is uh, unveiling to bring all of creation under the leadership of its true king, healed and restored King Jesus. Now, if you were here about a year ago, you know, if you've just come during this series, um, you kind of have the impression of Rocky Peak that our style of teaching is kind of topical. Uh, maybe some quotes here, a couple verses there. The reality is most of the time we teach through books of the Bible. We'll be doing that again in a couple weeks. And uh, if you were here uh, a couple weeks, uh, I mean, a year ago at this time, we were teaching through one of my favorite letters in the New Testament. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church of Ephesus, the Ephesians. And in this book, we call the series Epic, because in this series, God, uh, Paul is laying out this epic vision for God has for all of creation. And I want you, I want you to see how it starts. There in your note sheet, uh, Paul begins like this in verse 4 and 5. This is from the New Living Translation. He says, even before he made the world, okay, before the beginning of God, God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So he says that if you're a follower of Jesus, he chose you to come to him, eyes open, give your life to Jesus to be forgiven, restored, right? And he says, so God decided in advance to adopt us as sons, you're part of his family, uh, by bringing us to himself through Jesus, through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Before time began, he saw you, he chose you to bring you and to be forgiven and restored. But what we find out as we go through Ephesians is that this vision is for you to be part of something much bigger. In fact, if you get down a few verses later, you get to verse uh, 9 through 11 in that first chapter. This is how he puts it, good news translation. He says, uh, God, did, God did what he had purposed. He made known to us the secret plan that he had already decided to, to complete by means of Christ. This plan, which God will complete when the time is right, catches, is to bring all creation together, everything in heaven and on earth, with Christ as its head. Catch that. This is when I always say that he has this vision to bring all of creation under the leadership of King Jesus, healed and restored. That's what he's saying here. 
as, as, uh, as Christ leads it. He said, all things are done according to God's plan and decision. And then catch this, God chose us to be his own people in union with Christ because of his purpose based on what he had decided from the very beginning. And so, so the very start today as we lay the foundation for how do you design the life that is designed to this path to life, a life worth living, uh, it starts with this, that you were created for a purpose, right? That's the first building block. And number two, we're going we're gonna to build on that. Number two is that you are, we are chosen to serve. That not only uh, are you chosen, not only have you been chosen to be part of God's family, which is unbelievable, chosen to come to Christ, eyes open, see who Jesus is, give your life, be transformed, healed, restored. Not only that, but you've been chosen to play an important part in this epic drama of restoring creation. And when you get to chapter 2, we get to some very famous verses. Now, if you're a longtime Christian, you're familiar with these verses. These are very famous verses in evangelical circles, uh, kind of Bible-believing, Jesus' is salvation, we have salvation circles. Um, uh, but the, the, the shame of this is that we often quit one verse too soon. We often are familiar with Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, but we stop before 10, which is where the whole thing's leading. And so what Paul is going to say is when God chose you before time, it had nothing to do with you. It had nothing to do with your performance. It had nothing to do with, hey, he saw that you were going to seek him or you had a good heart, or like that, that God just chose you because he loved you. It was completely a gift of uh, grace. It had nothing to do with your performance or what Paul calls your works. Um, but he said that, that the reason God chose you was because he, had, he wanted to incorporate you in this plan to bring all creation and he's has specific assignments for you to do. And so here's how it goes. It says, uh, this is a New Living Translation. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done or the good works we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. And catch this, he created us anew in Christ Jesus. Catch this, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So not only have you been chosen or, or, or created for a purpose, you have been chosen uh, to serve. Now, when I say serve today, what naturally tends to come into our mind in a church setting like this, when I talk about serving, I'd be willing to bet for most of us in this room, what comes into your mind is specific kinds of service. It's often big service, spectacular service, occasional service, maybe even a service position like in a church. So when I say service, we tend to think going to Tanzania and serving overseas. We tend to think um, going downtown L.A., feeding the poor. We tend to think of joining kids' ministry or leading a life group. And those are all awesome ways to serve. We'll talk about that later. But, but what I want you to catch is God's vision for your life is much bigger. That when God called, created you to serve, he created you to change you at the core to where you love people and you love God like he loves us. And because of that, you desire to serve. You see, so, so if you think how this fits with a series, we're created, right, our top purpose, love God, love people. But the reality is, if you truly love someone, you will want to serve them, won't you? It's natural. And so what I want you to catch is as Christ followers, we are not called to serve from time to time in an occasional way. We are called to live a life of service. That wherever we go, we love people. And because we love people, we serve. And so we, 
We serve at home. A husband serves his wife. A wife serves her husband. Parents serve their kids. God willing and a miracle in between, someday our kids will serve us. Um, <laughs> when you go to work, um, you go to serve. You love people. Wherever you go, you're a gift at work. You're a gift to people. You love people. You care about them. You walk. When you join a new team at work, it's not like, what can I get out of this? How can I serve? How can I add value? Uh, as you're in the community and you're in the neighborhood, out in the world, as followers of Jesus, we love God, we love people, and as a result, we just serve. It's often even random. You think of the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told. I mean, here's a guy just wandering along. He sees one of his enemies, a Jew that's hurt, but he just loves him, serves him well. It's what we do. So what I want you to call is, is Jesus says that when we were created to make a difference. We're created to achieve these accomplishments before time. It's not just the occasional. It's not just the big. It's not just the ministry-oriented. It's called to make a difference wherever we go. All right? So that's number two. Uh, Before we leave there, great quote. One of my favorite quotes from St. Francis de Sales, an old Catholic writer from a billion years ago. But he wrote this great book called Introduction to the Devout Life. And I love how he puts it. He says, great occasions for serving God come seldom. It's like we think of service, we think, yeah, I serve on Sunday. I, I teach kids. Or I serve on Wednesday night. I lead a life group. Or I serve once a month. I go to World Impact and we help the poor. What, you know, he says, great occasions uh, come seldom, but little ones surround us daily. And our Lord himself has told us that he who is faithful in little is also faithful in much. So if you do all in God's name, so as you go through life, you're loving God, loving people, and whatever you do, your work, your family, whatever, you're doing it in God's name, he says, um, uh, then you will, uh, you, uh, you, all you do will be well done, whether you eat, drink, sleep, whether you amuse yourself or turn the spit. Talking not about smoking tobacco, but, you know, something else. But anyway, so long, and he says, so long as you do it all wisely, you'll become great in God's sight because you're doing all things as he would have you to do it. And so I remember my, my, dad, was, uh, my, my dad was an amazing guy, and he would get up every morning, 530 in the morning, go out and spend an hour with God in the garage, uh, cold garage, just kind of in the Word. And from time to time, uh, there would be a particular passage of Scripture that would speak with great force. And he was kind of an artist who would draw it up on little cards in a really cool way, and he'd put them around our house. He'd just put them around our house, and we would learn these as a family. And uh, one of the verses he put up was Colossians 3.17. And, and it goes like this. It says, Paul says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so this is the life of a Christ father. We love Jesus. We love people. And whatever we do, wherever we go, we are a force for good. Uh, we serve wherever we go just because we care. And we make life better wherever we go. So, so that's our core calling, right? So we're, we are, uh, we're created with a purpose. We are uh, chosen to serve in all the different realms, you know, home, world, church, community, uh, and yet there's some specific assignments that God has prepared before time. That's where we come so far. Now, number three, we're going to build on that. Number three, the next thing Paul tells us in Ephesians is that, uh, as crazy as it sounds, that we are designed to make a difference. That you and I, as followers of Jesus, that when we come to Jesus, several things happen. And so the first thing that happens when you come to Jesus is that you're forgiven, right? Uh, all you've done Against God, is that, that record is wiped out. You receive amnesty, all crimes against the king. You're forgiven. You're restored in a relationship. You're adopted as his child. A second thing that happens is that you receive the gift of the Spirit. The very Spirit of Jesus comes to live in you to empower you, 
to live a new life, to lead you, guide you, teach you in all truth, right? But a third thing that happens is when you come to Jesus, the New Testament says consistently, one of the things that happens is that God supernaturally empowers us with unique spiritual gifts of the Spirit, uh, supernatural spiritual gifts to make an impact so that we can love one another well. So here's what it says. When you, when you, think, of, uh, when you think of a human culture, uh, you think we, we need all kinds of different kinds of people and different kinds of gifts, don't we? Like we need, for example, we need doctors. We need lawyers. We need lawyers because we have doctors. And, uh, and then we, we need bankers and we have farmers. And, and we need nurses and we have teachers and we need baristas and we need more baristas. And, and so we, we need all these different people, different passions and different gifts to create a, a good society, a healthy society. And this is exactly what Paul says in the new community of Jesus, in this new humanity, that, that God has, when he comes to Jesus and sometimes later, that he uniquely gifts us supernaturally, what the Bible calls spiritual gifts, to enable us to serve one another well. Now catch this. So we're called to just love one another and serve one another in all the normal ways. But what the Bible says is that we've each been uniquely gifted to make a difference in certain ways where God has supernaturally equipped us to make a difference. And here's what I want you to catch. You will always make your greatest difference in the area of your greatest giftedness. Right? You'll, make, you'll always have your greatest impact in your area of greatest giftedness. And so we come to Jesus, we're not just forgiven, not just restored, not just have the gift of the Spirit, but we are gifted and so we can make a, a difference. And so um, there in your note sheet, Paul talks about this in chapter 4 of Ephesians. And he says, um, from him, from Jesus, and Paul's going to use this analogy he often uses in his writings. He, compare, he compares the new humanity, the new people of Jesus, to a human body. And just like a body has different uh, members that do different functions, so in the body of Jesus, we have different giftings that God has given us to serve one another and to build each other up. And so Jesus is the head, where his body, his hands and feet, and so on. And so he says, from him, from Jesus, the whole body, catch this, it grows and it builds itself up in what? In love. Uh, how does it do that? It says, as each part does its what? So, so you see how this is designed? In this new community, you come to Jesus, he gifts you with different Spiritual gifts, uh, supernatural. Some seem obviously supernatural, right? You know, healing, maybe uh, tongues, prophecy, uh, gifts of knowledge, miracle. Some maybe don't seem so uh, supernatural, but they're equally supernatural. Administration, helps, teaching, leadership, whatever. And he gifts us. And he says, okay, the reason I've gifted you is so you can make a difference. So let me illustrate it like this. Like let's say that you come to me and we're friends and I love you. And uh, I care about you, right? And you say, hey, Michael, my car broke down. Can you come and help me? Uh, you know what I'm going to say? Is not really. Uh, <laughs> the best thing I could do is give you the number of my mechanic. I cannot personally help you. That, I'm not gifted at mechanics. Not, you know, never, my, my dad was gifted, six months old. He used to sit me up on the side of the car to watch him, right? And that's as far as I got. Uh, <laughs> And so uh, my dad was an engineer, and I am not. Uh, and so uh, you, you might come to me and say, uh, hey, Michael, you know, I, I come, I listen to you every weekend, and, 
You've just helped me grow, and, and there's so much insight I've got from you. And I'm just wondering, I'm redesigning my house, and I want to do it in French provincial. Could you come and help me with that? And I, no, I cannot. I might love you. I cannot help you. You might come to me and say, hey, I've got this growth on my side. The last three months, this growth is here. It keeps getting bigger. Could you take a look at it and tell me what you think? I'm like, uh, I, no, I don't want to see your growths. I have no desire. Keep your growths to yourself. Any lumps, bumps, or other abnormality. No, I don't want to see that. I love you. I can't help you, right? But if you come to me and say, hey, I'm starting a new organization. I'm trying to, trying to think through the leadership structure of my organization. You come to me and say, hey, we're about to have kids, and we would love to talk with you about how to raise kids who love Jesus. You come to me and you say, what? Uh, hey, you know what? Uh, I am I'm, uh, uh, trying to uh, uh, learn how to teach, and I, I want to be a teacher, and I, I think God may be calling me ministry, and could you help me learn how to teach the Bible? Uh, all those things, I could say, yes, I can help you, right? Right, because I have got gifts of leadership. God's given me gifts of leadership. He's given me gifts of teaching. And so what happens is that uh, in these other areas, I, I can love you, but I'm not very effective at helping you, right? But in these areas of gifting, I can be extremely helpful to you to help you achieve your, you see what I'm saying? And you're the same way, that God has designed us uh, with certain gifts, and here's what I want you to catch, you will always make your greatest impact in your area of greatest giftings, okay? Really critical for us to catch. We'll come back to that later. Now, number four. Uh, so we're building, right? We're building a house here. I'm building an argument. Uh, we are, we're created to, uh, with a purpose. We have been chosen to serve uh, in all the normal spheres and some special assignments um, that we have been destined uh, and designed to make a difference. We've been gifted for that. And this leads to number four, that we are destined for joy. Then when God shows you, he chose you to know his joy. This is your destiny. Uh, that, that, that God shows you that you might know the fullness of life, the path of life. He loves you. He cares about you. He knows the path to life. He chose you in his desire. It's why Jesus came, that you could know his joy. In fact, we'll see that in a, in a little bit. We'll see exactly what he says. Um, and so th this is where it's it's uh, this is where this whole teaching on service becomes a little countercultural, because as I said earlier, most of us, if we're honest, we believe the path to joy, the path to fulfillment, the path to life, it leads through the door or the gate of being served. Isn't this what we all want? We want to get to a place where everyone's serving us, where we are independently wealthy. We can go to the Caribbean. We can stay on an island. We can drink our favorite drink, you know, and, uh, and we can just relax and people bring things to us. But here's what I want you to catch. That will not bring you joy. It will bring you joy for about two weeks, depending on what you're drinking, maybe four. Right? <laughs> but there will come a time when it will run out. And you know why? It's because you were designed for something so much greater. You were designed to make a difference. You were designed to have eternal impact. You were designed for something great. And when we make it about ourselves, that's too small a reason to live. We become self-absorbed. 
we become uh, narcissistic, our world shrinks, and the more it's about us, the less joy we have. And so this is what Jesus said. No, trust me in this. Now, this is a hard one, though, because this is how we're wired. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, near the end of Jesus' life, he is traveling to Jerusalem for the very last time. Now, his disciples, they think that what's going to happen is he's about to unleash his power on Rome and to pull off a political coup and kick out the Romans and bring the, the long-promised kingdom of God in all its fullness. That's what they think is going to happen. So because of that, they are beginning to jockey for position. And so a couple of his guys pull him aside on the way, and they say, hey, you know, we know you're coming, your kingdom's coming out, and so we just want to know, we've done a survey, there's 12 of us here, we just want to let you know that we think we are the two top guys of this class. And uh, since you're starting this new government, we know you're going to be picking cabinet members, we're thinking if you're president, I'd be a great vice president, his secretary of state right here. Uh, so we just want to kind of let you know we're in for you, you know, so if you got those corner offices, that's for us, we have right and left. And of course, the other guys is, you know, it's just kind of thing, gossip always gets out. So the guys, you know, pick up on this. And so they're all mad and all because that's, you know, they wanted the corner offices. So, uh, so anyway, Jesus sits him down. He does a major teaching about his kingdom. And I know many of you are familiar about this. Go back to, to, uh, to point number two. And in point number two, um, there is a uh, section there somewhere. Can't find it in my notes. Um, where it's in, in the Gospel of Mark, where uh, Jesus sits him down, and he uh, wants to teach him about this. And so he says, Jesus called them together, and he said, you know that the rulers in this world, they love to lord it over their people. Now, no show of hands. But have you ever worked for a boss that just loved pushing people around? Right? Um, have you ever worked for somebody that it's like they, they just like to, everyone to know that they're in charge. Sometimes they just give arbitrary, arbitrary rulings. They would just uh, make you do things. They would just be mean just because they could. Um, and he says that's kind of the way the world is. The way the world works is you, you have a mindset that, that if I want to be happy in life, if I want the path of life, I'm going to rise to the top of the organization. And once I get there, I'm going to make everyone serve me. And the more people that serve me, the happier I will be. Will be. That's how well, the world works. And he says, so I know that's how it works. He says, the officials flaunt their authority over those among them. He says, but among you, it will be what? Different. different. He says, we're doing something completely different here. Says, that's a path to death. I'm going to show you the path to life. He says, so the way we're going to do it, he says, whoever wants to be leader among you or great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave. For even the Son of Man, talking about himself, didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. And so Jesus is laying out. Now, I, he's a, I know this is counterintuitive. I know the whole culture works this way. But trust me, the path of life does not lead through the door of the corner office. The path of life leads through the door of service. And he says, so, so what I want you to do is to grow, to become like me, to love God, to love people. And the more you love people, the more you'll serve them. And the more you love them, the greater degree of serving, like I'm doing you, giving my life. He says, and what that will do is it will lead to joy. In fact, he, he models this. A lot of you are familiar with the, the account. In fact, in our life groups last week, uh, we, we looked at this in chapter 13 of John, where Jesus did this freakish thing where, you know, in that culture, very hierarchical, 
very rules conscious, you know, status conscious. Uh, uh, you know, there's kind of a way, or, there's a way life works in, in our culture, and there's, you know, different levels of society. And, and their society, to wash someone's feet was the job of the lowest of the low. Uh, think of like India, the untouchables. Maybe like, you know, like it's the lowest of the low. And uh, so the disciples, like they would never wash each other's feet. That would be humiliating. And so after dinner, the Passover, you know, Jesus can be arrested that night. After dinner, he goes up, goes up, kind of disrobes, puts on the towel around his waist, comes back and does what a slave would do, freaks them out. It's like this is wrong, uncomfortable for everyone, you know, except Jesus. And, uh, and so when he gets done, they're trying to figure out what in the world just happened here. And Jesus says, hey, do you know what happened? They said, you know, they're all like, no one wants to say, no, we don't have a clue. And Jesus said, you know, if I'm your teacher and Lord, if I wash your feet, then you should be washing each other's feet. He's kind of modeling for them this new community where we serve one another. But here's what he says at the end that's so profound that we often miss. It's there on your note sheet. We're back on point number whatever now, four. And, uh, and he says, now, this is from the Good News Translation. He says, now that you know the truth, right, what's the truth? The truth is I love you. It's how the passage starts. Jesus, knowing his own, he loved them to the end. He says, knowing that I love you, knowing that I'm your Lord, knowing that I'm your teacher, and that I will do the lowest of the low, which, of course, was a symbol of the greater service he would, he would offer the next day by dying for them. He says, now that you know that I will serve you like that, this is how I've lived my whole life. This is not a one-time event. This is just a model of how I've been loving you the whole, from day one. Now that you know that, now that you know what you're called to do, he says, then you will... Um, how happy you will be if you put it into practice. Catch that. How happy you will be. So Jesus is introducing a completely different paradigm, the path to fulfillment, the path to freedom, the path to joy, the path to happiness, leads through the door of service. In fact, later that evening, so a chapter or two later, same evening, uh, this is what Jesus will say. Look right above that John 13 passage. In John 15, he said, I've told you these things, all this teaching I've been doing this night. I've, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my what? My joy. He says, that's why I've come. I've come so you can be filled with my joy. That's all this teaching's about. That's why I've come. And he said, yes, your joy will overflow. And he says, this is my commandment. This is the path. Love each other. The same way I have loved you. And so Jesus turns our natural paradigm on its head, and he says the path to freedom, the path to life, leads through the door of service. You're created with a purpose. Uh, God's got a design in your life as you love others, uh, as you lay down your life for them. Uh, out of that love, it will lead you to joy. So I like how Albert Schweitzer, Schweitzer you know, the famous uh, missionary doctor that opened Africa, he puts it like this. I don't know what your destiny will be, but one thing I know, the ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. Okay? Very countercultural. Now, this leads into a couple questions. Uh, so, so remember, this is a series on priorities, right? I'm trying to help you think through your life and live life by design, not by default. To stand back from your life and say, where is the path to life? Where are the paths that lead to life? Where are the paths that lead to death? How do I design my life in intentional ways? so that I walk the path of life. And what Jesus is saying is one of the paths that we often neglect, but it's one of the key, is the path of service. Service as a lifestyle, yes, but also finding those areas where you're uniquely gifted to make a difference 
that that will lead us to joy, all right? So at least a couple questions there. There in your note sheet, you have a section called Serve, Discovering Your Path. And the first one's going to be more theoretical. The first one's going to be more mindset. But I'll try to make it as practical as I can. The second one will be more action-oriented. But uh, number one is, do you have the heart of a servant? As you sit here today, would you say, more importantly, with those who know you best, let's say your spouse, your best friends, your relatives, your kids, your coworkers, your ministry team partners, your life group, uh, those who know you best, uh, would they say that you have the heart of a servant? Now, let me say a couple things about this. Uh, First of all, I want you to know that by asking this question, I am not trying to condemn you in any way. This is not trying to say, if you don't, bad shame on you. Uh, what I'm asking you is a self-evaluation because the way you answer this question will be a great indication as to whether you bought into the paradigm of Jesus or not. You see, if you have the heart of a servant, then the, you probably learned this lesson that service is the path to life. And that's why you have the heart of a servant. You've learned that and you've experienced it to be true and you're growing your love for God and love for people. And the more you love, then the more you serve and the more joy you have. And you've learned that, right? If you say, I don't have a heart of a servant, then, then what it suggests is you haven't learned this lesson. You're still operating on the old same paradigm that the world operates on and that the disciples of Jesus operated on, that the more I get people to serve me, the happier I will be. And so it's a really helpful question to self-assess uh, and say, which path are you on? Because one path leads to life, one path leads to death. If you believe that the path to life is in getting people to serve you, then you will never be able to design your life uh, so that, it leads, that it leads to this path to life. You won't be able to do that. And so the question is, um, do you have the heart of the servant? Now, secondly, I would say that this is really hard to self-assess. That uh, it's hard to be honest about this. It's hard to recognize this in ourselves. So if you really want to know... Probably it's going to be those around you that will have a much better feel for this than you do. You know, you might say, oh, my, yes, I have the heart of a servant. And your spouse is like, who are you? I, I don't know. I can't even get you to take the trash out. Um, and it's like, well, that's because it's not my gift. Uh, and so, so what I want to do is break down this question, do you have the heart of a servant? I want to break it down into two or three sub-questions. And this is going to get much more painful. All right. All right, so right now you might be feeling okay. You probably won't by the time I finish. All right, so here we go. Uh, so here we go. Number one, the first question is, would those who know you best see you as more of a giver or a taker? Right? Those who know you best, will they see you more as a giver or a taker? Now, you know, as you go through life, first of all, we're all on a spectrum, right? Like no one, none of us are purely givers or purely takers. We're all going to be somewhere. But would those who know you best say you're more of a giver or you're more of a taker. Two kinds of people. A, a giver goes into life situations saying, what can I offer? Uh, how can I serve? What can I do to make life better? What, how can I add value to this situation? That's just their natural instinct. How, how, can, I, how can I serve, right? Uh, takers are going to be natural instinct is what's in it for me. Um, they see people as a stepping stone for their goals. So they're going to tend to use people, not serve people. Um, so uh, you know, do you tend to be a giver or a taker? Um, for example, uh, let's say that you sign up for a new life group. Okay? Uh, let's get real. I'm going to mess with you now. 
Uh, okay, let's say you sign up for a new life group. You sign up for a new ministry. You sign up, I've been serving kids ministry. I'm going to lead a life group, um, some ministry, right? Uh, when you sign up to attend that life group, as you drive up that first evening, is your thought, what will I get out of this? Or is your thought, what can I add to this? See, the heart of a servant is, is kind of coming in and saying, how can I add value? The heart of one was not a servant is like, man, I hope these are my kind of people. Right? Like, what's in it for me? Uh, when you join a ministry team, the heart of a servant is how can I help make life better for someone else? For someone, is, is this going to fulfill me? Right? So uh, there's some people, the heart of a, a, a giver, when they uh, join a new team at work, they're asking the question, how can I add value? The taker is, how can I manipulate the situation to get ahead? Okay. So, so are you, do you tend to be more of a giver or a taker? Now, again, uh, this is not designed to make you feel bad. It's designed to help you assess how you look at life. Because if you look at life like a taker, it should be like a warning light on the dashboard of your life, you're on the wrong road, you see? And so then we can get off the wrong road. Like, wow, I'm on the wrong road. I can get off. Here's the one thing I could say is that takers are usually the last to realize they're a taker. If you're a taker, you probably don't think you are. Um, you think that everyone's really quite fortunate to work with you. Um, <laughs> why wouldn't they? I'm amazing. Um, just being able to be on my team is like, what more could you ask for? Yeah, I just give by being who I am. Um, and so, um, you know, it's like, you're married to me, man. You've got it made. Uh, it's like, wow, what more could a woman ask for, you know? Uh, it's like, I, just by walking in the room, gee, uh, I give just by, you know. Um, so, so what I've found is that people who are takers usually don't realize they're takers. Uh, and that's why... You kind of need some feedback from others around you. Here's another sub-question of number one. A sub-question is, um, how often do you keep score? Uh, here's what I find is that takers tend to keep score. Hey, we've had them over to our house three times, and they've never invited us back, you know. Man, we had a big, we had full-on huge amount of guacamole. Do you see the little amount that they got, Right? <laughs> Are you kidding me? I can't even believe that, right? Uh, well, when I go to life group, I, I really, I, br I bring my best food. Did you see what they bring? It's like, man, they stop at, you know, I don't know, dollar store. And, uh, you know, uh, right? So, um, well, hey, the last three times I volunteered, they never volunteer. Um, takers tend to be scorekeepers. Um, here's another question, sub-question. How much credit do you need? Um, takers, they really need the credit. Team succeeds, they need to be, it needs to be about them. They need to make sure they, they're very, did I get the credit? That person's taking the credit. I need to get credit. Servants don't think that way. Um, here's another one. How do you respond when someone treats you like a servant? This is the one that gets me. Like, I feel pretty good about being a servant, until someone starts treating me and taking me for granted and treating me like a servant, then all of a sudden I don't like it. So think of it like if you're a waiter or a waitress. Maybe you enjoy doing that, right? And as long as you have customers that are they're kind and they're, 
pleasant and uh, they appreciate your service and they're friendly and they tip well, you kind of like serving them. How do you feel like when they take you for granted? You say, how does your service go up or down? You know, because of that. What do you do to the food in the back room? So, uh, right, so the first one's kind of a mindset. Uh, and here's what I want you to catch. If you want to be on the path of life, the path of life leads to the door of service. It's a mindset. It's about loving God, loving others, and then learning to, uh, living to make a difference in others. It leads to joy, right? Uh, number two, the second question, this is the, the second major question then, is do you know how you're wired? Now, this is really important. Let's review what we've seen today. We've, we've talked today. We've said, uh, number one, that you have, believe it or not, as a follower of Jesus, you've been created with a purpose. You have been chosen to make a, to serve and make a difference. You've been designed, gifted to make a difference. The question I have for you is, do you know how you're designed? Do you know how God has wired you? Do you know what you're good at? Like if I were to ask you, what are the three things that you do best? Think like in your career or your role in spiritual gifts or kingdom impact. But what are the things that what are the things that you do, the three things that you do best? Could you tell me right off the bat? Could you tell me what you're good at? And the reality is most people can't. And here's the, here's an important truth. That in our lives, we tend to undervalue what comes easily to us. If something comes easily to us, we tend to think it's no big deal. We tend to, we tend to disparage it. Um, my wife, for those of you who know my wife, is a great listener. I know not, not all you know my wife, but trust me, she's a great listener. Uh, it's one of the things that drew me to her, because she was the first person that really ever listened to me. Uh, <laughs> I was 17 years old, right, 17 years old, and we got together, and um, Lynn believed in me before I believed in myself. I, I often wonder what would have happened to me without her influence in my life, that Lynn was one of those people that, as I share my hopes and dreams, she believed in me, right, and she's, she's an incredible listener, and those who know her, you know this. When you're with Lynn, you have to be on high alert because you're going to tell her things you don't want her to know, I mean, it's just like... <laughs> I don't know what she does. She kind of goes like this. And then you glaze over and you start going, Ugh. and you're like, oh, get that back. You know? It's fun. When my, when my two son-in-laws, they first started dating my daughters, I mean, within weeks, I mean, within a couple weeks, they're sitting up late after my daughter's gone to bed talking to my wife and sharing their darkest secret. It's just crazy, right? We didn't have to do the standard background check. We just already knew. Uh, I was all prepared. I had the private detective. You know, uh, it's like, that's awesome. Save 5,000 bucks. Uh, but she's amazing. There's something about her that just puts people at ease, and she's easy to talk to. And uh, I remember uh, years ago when we were uh, just early on staff or not even on staff, the previous church I served at down in San Diego area. And uh, so we were a very small church at the time, maybe a couple hundred people. And we would have there what we do here. We, here we have next step desserts for newcomers. We had welcome desserts there, we call them. And uh, it was a very small church at the time. You know, it's a couple hundred people, 150 people or whatever. And so you'd have these desserts every two or three months. And maybe eight, ten people come. They're not really that big. 
And, um, and so we would be there always helping to host them with the other pastor, the lead pastor and his wife. And uh, it was like uncanny almost every time. We would spend this evening with these people, and they would leave, and we'd turn around. There'd be three of us left, Larry, Nancy, and myself. We'd say, where'd Lynn go? Oh, she went out with someone. And she'd come back 45 minutes later, and someone had been out with her sharing their whole life story, good, bad, and the ugly. I mean, the most intimate details of their life. There's just something about her that puts people at ease. And there's a sense of love there, and there's a sense of affirmation, a sense of interest and care that people, this is a safe place. But here's the thing. If you're wired like my wife, and I were to ask you, what are you best at? Chances are you would never say listening. Because the reality is, you don't think of it as a gift. You just think, well, anyone could do that. All you have to do is look and say, uh-huh, you know. Uh, and it's just it's so easy for you that you, like, you don't realize what a gift it is. The reality is, listening well is one of the greatest gifts we can give to anyone. Like, we all want to be heard and understood. Someone cares about us. It's one of the greatest gifts. But if that's your gift, you will undervalue it. You will not value it. Here's the thing, often what we're best at, we don't recognize. In fact, Peter Drucker, who's probably the most famous influential management consultant of our whole era, he was, uh, died a few years ago, but he's a, he's a believer in Jesus too. This is what he says there on your note sheet. He says, it's amazing how few people know what they're good at. So if you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, I don't know what I'm good at, hey, don't feel you know, bad. It's like you're the norm. Uh, it says, what comes easy, one tends to disparage. If it comes easy, value it. One thinks that what comes hard is more valuable because you have to work for it. The reality is what you want to do is you want to find out how God has wired you. What has he called you to do? What's your assignment? And can I tell you something? It's usually going to fall somewhere between the twin poles of your passion and your competence. Between passion and competence in that zone is where it's going to be. So you say, well, how do I find what I'm good at? Well, I've got a couple suggestions. Number one, you need to study yourself. This is where you need to start. It's amazing how ignorant we are about ourselves. But you need to study yourself. Like you are unique, right? God has blessed you. He's given you um, a unique personality. He has given you uh, passions that are, you have your own passions. He's given you certain spiritual gifts supernaturally. He's given you natural abilities. You've had certain life experiences. Can I tell you something that usually your area of greatest impact, often, let's put it this way, often, that God will use you most in the place of your greatest pain. Now, this is something we, we often try to run from our pain. But can I tell you something? God often wants to meet you and your place of greatest pain, and then use that to launch healing into other people's lives. You know, if you've struggled with pornography, and God has met you and rescued from that, very likely God will want to use you to help others who struggle with that. Uh, if you've been sexually abused and it's made a major mark on your life, God wants to heal you, bring freedom to your life. And then as he does, guess what? Many times he will use you to bring freedom to others in that pain. You grew up without a father. And there's always been sort of a, a father hole in your life as God heals you. 
Don't be surprised if he puts a passion in your heart to be part of a ministry, to be a father to the fatherless. See, God often redeems and restores our greatest pain. And then he directs it as part of your calling. And so, so you need to study yourself. You know, years ago, when we were kind of designing Rocky Peak, kind of redesigning Rocky Peak, one of the things that we did is we said, what are the things that every Christ follower needs to know to walk well with God? You don't have to learn them all here, but what do they need to know? We call them essentials. These are essential topics. And we created about eight or nine courses. One of the first courses we created was a course that was called Serving Sacrificially, Discovering Your Purpose. It was on the topic of what we're talking about today. And that whole course is designed to help you explore yourself. To explore how God has gifted you, how he's called you, what the Bible says about your calling, your life, uh, what, what spiritual gifts are, what some of the gifts are, uh, personality traits. We use lots of instruments to help us explore yourself. We'll use a Myers-Briggs type indicator. We'll use a strength finders instrument. We'll use spiritual gift tests, but there's, we'll help you think back through your life. We'll help you probe your passions. And we're going we're gonna to spend some time just helping you learn how God has wired you. It's one of the most important things you need to do at some point in your life. If you're going to design your life well, you want to live your life by design, you need to know what you're good at, you see? And so whether it's in that course, and we offer that course from time, in fact, we're offering it right now. Too late to sign up, but we're offering it right now. Uh, we offer it throughout the year sometimes, um, but it's, these courses are online too. You can go online. I teach them. You can download those. Um, you can download the worksheets. Get all the resources in our library, or you can just go out today. You want, you want some of those resources I mentioned? Go to our library. I mean, our, to our bookstore, and uh, and and, uh, and and get them there. But the first step is to spend some time uh, learning yourself. Uh, and can I tell you, this is so important that you do this because remember, we learned that you're going to make your greatest impact in your place of greatest giftedness. But here's the other thing I want you to catch: once you learn what you're good at. You need to make room for that in the plan of your life. You need to schedule it into your life and catch this. Then you, learn, you need to start saying no to all other service opportunities. This is critical. Because often what we do, and there's a million things. There's a million ministries, right? You could work with uh, women in crisis pregnancies. You could work with our kids' ministry. You could do, work with first impressions. You could work with global ministries. You could feed the whole. There's a million things you could do. But what I want you to catch is that you want to focus the time that you have uniquely to serve in these ministries. You want to focus it in the area of greatest return. You want to focus it where you will make your biggest contribution. And that's in your area of greatest giftedness. And if you don't know what you're good at, you will just go through your life doing one thing after another. And you're always saying yes to everything. And you will not have focus. So remember, I can't help you with the... The wound on your side. I can't help you with your car that's broken. I can't help you redesign. So I need to know what I can help you with and then say no to everything else. Now, catch this. Just a, one quick caveat on that. I'm not, you know, as followers of Jesus, we always jump in and help where there's need, right? Like, you don't say at home, like, yeah, I can't take out the trash. It's not my gift. I don't have the gift of helps. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, Lynn, I just, I don't have the gift of grass. I mean, not the outside kind. I don't have that gift, 
And I, you know, I just, I don't feel called. That's not my, you know, I can't, it's like, that's just, we all, we're a family, right? And just like you have chores at home, uh, we have chores in the body of Christ. And sometimes it's just a need. Like you don't go to your life group and when it's time to clean up the dishes, go, yeah, I don't have that gift, you know? Uh, like, so we all serve, right? But what I'm saying, in places of concentrated service, you need to know what you're good at. You need to invest in that, in that and you need to say no to everything else. So you can make the biggest difference. Now, so the first thing is learn yourself. But the se- here's the second s- a second is you need to experiment. And what I found is that often we can go through something like a course like Discovering Your Purpose, uh, Sacrifice Service. And you could take these tests and indicators and do your study and all. And sometimes we expect that magically, God is just speak, here it is. You know, the light comes on. Here it is. Uh, it's not really like that. I think that often... The process of discovering our spiritual gifts and calling is much like discovering our natural gifts in life. Now, we've all, we've all been through this, right? So you grow up as a kid. You don't know as a kid. You don't understand life. And so you just try things, right? And you're kind of interested in sports, so you go out for football. Well, you're not very good, you know? And then you go out for basketball, but you're not very fast, you know? And then you go out for baseball. Well, you don't have good eye-hand coordination. And uh, so somewhere along there, you go, you know what? I don't think sports is my thing, you know? So you try band, and then the band director says, you know what? I think... Uh, some other calling might be good for you. And so you move on. And so finally you hit auto shop, right? And all of a sudden it's like, I, man, I'm really good at this, which you'll probably tend to d- diminish. Like, oh, anyone could do this. Uh, but you can't. It's like you're just really good at mechanical things. And you're, you're good at kind of seeing schematics in your mind. And you're good at seeing how things fit together. And so it takes a while to figure that out. You try things you're interested in. and you, you know, It's the same way in the spiritual world. That, again, we look for something when you, we, you, know, you study yourself first, and you say, what's an area that's kind of between my passion and passion about it? And I think, I think I might be good at this. And you start experimenting. And what you often find is you'll, you'll go in, you'll have some success, but then there'll be something else that God opens the door. This was actually a little closer. And then as you grow older, a little closer. As you get more experience, a little closer. Can I tell you something? That, like in my own life, um, you know, I was uh, one of the senior pastors at another church for 20 years. And, uh, and so people would ask me, so I was one of the teaching pastors and so on, one of the leaders of the church, so they would ask me from time to time, hey, when are you going to leave and go lead your own church? And especially back in that era, it wasn't an era like now where you have a lot of senior pastors and more collegial leadership and all. And so, and I would always say, well, I don't know if I ever will. You know, I, I don't, God's got a vision for my life, and, and if that's part of the vision, then he'll call me to do that, and if he doesn't, I won't, and that's kind of where I was at, you know. And so Lynn and I used to talk about this. And we talk about it, and, 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 and she'd, uh, I'd say, well, what do you think? Do you think that that will happen someday? And she'd, she'd say, you know what? I think you do a great job, and you do a great job. But she said, I'm not sure you would like it. I don't think you enjoy it. And I, I really, I, I thought it was a lot of wisdom. I could kind of understand that. It was like for 20 years it was like that, right? And can I tell you, from the time I came to Rocky Peak, from the very first moment I landed here, it was as if I was designed to do this my whole life. Like, I can't even imagine doing anything else. I could, there's not been one single day through the good times or bad times. In the early years, there were lots of bad times. Uh, that, there's never been a single day where I've questioned that decision. There's never been a single day I wish I could. I cannot imagine. It feels like I have been, my whole life has been leading up to this, and it all came close. But until that time, it wasn't clear. Are you with me? And so, so God was preparing me, and he was taking from this ministry, and then, and then there was, this one was even better fitted, and then over the years, and this one was even better fitted, and then it comes to a point, and that's often how it works. 
You start in one area, you jump in, and you don't say, is this fulfilling me? You say, how can I make a difference? How can I serve? And you do your best, and you watch as God begins to say, okay, that's good, but here's something a little bit more for you, and here's a little bit, and you gain experience, and it comes along, and you discover it as you go. It's a process. There in your note sheet, I love how Bill Hybels puts this. He says, um, if I had to sum up the key to to finding the perfect serving niche, I'd do it in the one word, experiment. That's not what I would have said 20 years ago, or even 10. Back then, I would have said, start by figuring out your spiritual gift, then take a spiritual gift assessment test, learn and reflect, I would have said. We still believe that our ultimate goal is to serve in one area of spiritual giftedness, but we've learned that spiritual gifts are less something we figure out ahead of time than something that God reveals as we serve. So here's what we recommend to potential volunteers these days. Use whatever understanding you have of your personality, your passions, your areas of interest, your talents, your preferences. Those are the things I'm talking about that you study yourself. You take your best awareness of that. And you use it in a general serving direction to guide you in a general serving direction. And then jump in with a willing heart and open mind. And the key is to look at discovering, developing, and displaying your spiritual gifts as a process. Don't worry about finding the perfect fit immediately. Give yourself permission to learn as you experiment. All right? And so I so said, let's step back from where we've been then. So we're saying you're, you're created on a purpose, for a pur- uh, you're created for a purpose that you have been chosen to serve in all these areas of your life. We live a life of service. There's certain assignments for us. We've been designed specifically with certain spiritual gifts, backgrounds and personality and all. To make, a, to make our biggest impact, that we will make our biggest impact in our place of greatest service, our greatest giftedness. And then on top of that, that once we've found that, we need to focus in and say no to everything else. And so here's what I'm saying, that as we go through this process, as you design your life, you need to design it in the context of service. And so I would challenge you as we kind of bring this message to an end, and we're not quite done. Don't put your notes away. Uh, as we bring it to an end, as we come to an end, I want to challenge you. What are you going to do with this message? Because it's going to be very tempting to go, that was awesome. That was challenging. That was so great. Put in the Bible. Great. See you next week. Remember, we have to pursue, and then we listen, and then we design. And the design means what are the next steps I need to take to, in this area of my life, get me to my desired destination. See, what, this, what we're learning today is that you are created to serve, and service is a path to joy. And you're not going to find your purpose and your joy until you find that place. There on your note sheet, oh, no, it's not on your note sheet. We ran a room on the note sheet. I'm going to put it on the screen. It's going to come up here. Right now, Oswald Chambers. Any Oswald Chambers fans out there? I love Oswald. One of my uh, spiritual mentors. Um, Joy comes from seeing the complete fulfillment of the specific purpose for which I was created and born again. Not from successfully doing something of my own choosing. We each have to find our niche in life and spiritually, catch this, we find it when we receive a ministry from the Lord. And then don't miss this, like, to do this, we must have close fellowship with Jesus, and we must know him as more than our personal Savior. 
Now catch this. What he's saying is what I've been saying every week of this series. As you design every area of your life, you always start at the start of the process. What's step one? Pursue God. Number one priority, to know you, God, to love you, to please you. Step number two, listen. What's he saying? Follow. And as we pursue him, as we listen and follow, then the Lord will help us design and find our niche. If we try to skip those steps, those first three steps, and we jump to this one, all bets are off. You see? So you, you cannot do any part of the well-designed life without starting with pursuing and listening and then designing. You try to design without pursuing and listening, waste of time. Let's pray. God, as we come before you, we just thank you for the brilliance of your word. God, I, I don't know if we ever would have figured this out, that service is the path of freedom. We, we may not have figured that out. We, we may have been like your disciples that thought, no, no, it's having others serve me. That's the path of freedom. That's the path of life. That's the path of joy. And so, God, today we recognize you're calling us to a countercultural understanding. You're asking us to trust you. Like we learned early in these series, that the, the, the right priorities often feel wrong at first. But as we listen, as we follow, as we pursue you, God, we pray that you help us to know the purpose for which we were designed, that we would be a blessing wherever we go, serving wherever we go, but we would discover those specific assignments we're designed for, that we would be your hands and feet, that we would bring your kingdom in the here and now. You'd use us individually and as a church, that we would be a church where freedom reigns. And so, God, we pray as we bring you our offerings now, we pray you'd meet us as we worship you together. Amen. Let's stand and worship. Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for that. God, we want to be faithful to that calling. We want to live a life that's larger than ourselves. We want to be free from the self-conceit, the self-centeredness. Why We want to be freed up in the freedom of your love, a love that flows out to others, a love that is self-sacrificial, a love that finds its greatest joy in bringing value to others. So God, as a church, we pray that you would unleash a movement of truly passionate Christ followers that are living for you, loving others, and bringing the kingdom in the here and now. We pray that the message that your name brings peace would be on our lips, God. We pray that this place would be a place of safety and healing and restoration and freedom. We pray you'd pour out your spirit in unprecedented ways here that we might flow out in these valleys we serve with the message that there is a king. There's a king that can heal and restore and set free. God, we pray you'd pour out your spirit. We beg you to do that, that you would fill our lives in a fresh way that we might flow with your love and grace to a world that desperately needs it, that there's a king in town and his name is freedom. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. Hey, as we wrap up, a couple things. Uh, first of all, as you go, don't forget Freedom Movement out in the lobby to your left in the niche. Tickets there. One Lives. Get up for your One Lives. Get one for yourself. If you want to sign up to bring a dessert and you're good at that, it's your gift, then go ahead and do it. Uh, secondly, if you uh, need prayer for anything, over here to my right against the far walls over here, great team of prayer people. They'd love to pray with you. 
And then next week, we're wrapping up this series. This is our last, last message. And then the next week, we're kicking off our new series called Into the Danger. We're back into Acts. Very excited about that. And so I hope you can be with us the next couple weeks because very important uh, as we wrap up one, start the other. So God bless you. I'll be up here in front if you want to talk. And uh, rest of you, I'll see you next weekend.